Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon titled, Point Them to Jesus, coming out of John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. John 1, 19, and, and John the Apostle wrote the book of John, right? He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but in our text, he's writing about another guy named John, John the Baptizer. It's easy to get them mixed up, but they're completely different. But I want you to hear what he writes. It says, verse 19, now this is the testimony of John, John the Baptizer. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny But he confessed, I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not the Christ. And then they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, nope, I'm not him. Are you the prophet? And he said again, no. And when they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? Nothing like organized religion asking for an answer. What do you say about yourself? Mm. Listen to what he said. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And then now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. Should we be surprised? And they asked him saying, well then why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, you're not Elijah, or you're not the prophet? Mm. Y'all got to calm down about there. I'm reading scripture. (laughs) Verse 26, John said, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. Can I tell you, our prayer is that you'll know who he is before you leave here today. It is he who... Coming after me is preferred before me. Well, he came after me, but he was also, man, it's Jesus. Spoiler alert. Whose sandal strap, mm, I'm not worthy to loose. And these things were done in Bethabara, which is in the middle of nowhere, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And here's what's taking place. People are starting to follow him. Disciples are starting to follow him. The outside world saying, you must be somebody. Look at all the people. And here's what he said. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Trying to tell everybody where to find somebody who can save their soul. And so today I want to remind you, friend, While you and I are really nobody, Jesus says, no, you're somebody. So much that I would die for you. John got over himself. Can I tell you that's my prayer? Almost every day. Hey, God, remind me, I'm a nobody whom you've made a somebody. So the byproduct of right Doctrine is worship. Now, now you can wade off into some worship 
that the focus is wrong, it's not anchored to the truth of the word of God, and you may have an experience, but I don't, know, I don't know that you can classify it as worship, because worship, let me say it again, is the byproduct of good, sound, biblical doctrine. But having good, sound, biblical doctrine, you don't have to have that at the expense of worship. They go hand in hand, okay? We're not preaching on that today. I just wanted you to know that. And I've already read the text. You know, we're in John chapter one. You know who wrote it, not John the Baptist, but John the apostle. And uh, if you're like, no, 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 John the Baptist wrote it. Well, I mean, how's he gonna write about him dying? But anyway, we'll just talk about that later. I love the story. There was a guy who lived in the city, had never really been on the farm at all, yet he had some relatives that were farmers, and so he went to visit them, and he was there when his farmer relative whistled for the dog to actually herd all the cattle inside of the corral. Not only did the dog get them inside, but then she closed the door, the gate to the corral, lifted her paw up, and latched it. And this guy from the city said, my goodness, I've never in my life seen a dog do that. Wow. Well, what is her name? And the farmer's like, oh, man, man, her name, her name, her name, her name, her name. Oh, what is the name? What is the name of that red flower that smells? What is the, what is the name? You know, it's got, it's got thorns on the stem. And the guy from the city said, Rose? You mean, yeah, that's it, Rose, Rose. And he turned to his wife and he said, hey, Rose, what's the name of that dog out there? Right? Ooh, terrible. Wasn't good with names. But I'm telling you, if there's a name you should get, it should be that one. That's what we see with John, and that's why it's so easy for us to mistake John the Baptist and John the Apostle, because each one of them are like, we've never forgotten the name that is a greater than all other names, the name where we find our hope, the name that we speak of, the name that we preach of, right? And it's the name of Jesus. Over and over again, it's all about Jesus. And so the text that we've read today, talking about John the Baptist, and you know, he really wouldn't fit our model of what, quote, a Christian looks like. John the Baptist, he lived out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, Bible says he never cut his hair, he never shaved his beard. I mean, my goodness, can you love Jesus and never shave your beard? <laughs> he wore crazy, crazy clothes. He wore a camel hair robe. Now, if you've ever been around camels, you understand that statement. You smell camels long before you see them. Had a big leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. I'm just saying, John the Baptist is not the guy that you would say, uh, hey, listen, we're very excited. We've got a guest speaker at our candlelight service and then do a direct mailer to all the homes and his picture be on it. But we see some great value in the life of John the Baptist. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that for sake of time, I'm only gonna give you two, but no, it's gonna take a long time for me to give you two. Two life values that he demonstrates for us 
in this passage of Scripture. The first one is he's a model of true humility. When they asked him who he was, he gave three self-denials. You know, when they said, who are you? The, you know, that, kind of that first question is they're insinuating, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And the reason why they're asking that question is he was long awaited, right? The Jews waiting on the Messiah to come. They thought that the Messiah was going to return Israel to great world prominence, would have great military power back to the days of David, yet even greater than the days of David. So naturally, they're on the lookout for this Messiah. Here's John, a very popular preacher. Got folks going out in the middle of nowhere to listen to him. Had many, many followers. Would have been easy for John to say, yeah, this, yes, I am. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that you've been praying for. I am the Messiah. But notice, emphatically, he's like, no, not me. Not me. I'm not the Messiah. And then they ask him another question in verse 21. They ask him, are you Elijah? In the Old Testament, God promised that he would send Elijah before the day of the Lord arrived. So here they are, the Jews are expecting Elijah. Matter of fact, they were expecting Elijah so much that whenever they would celebrate the Passover, and they still do this to this day, they leave an empty chair for Elijah. No, 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 we need another chair, save one for Elijah. We're waiting for him, we long for him to come back because we know that when Elijah comes, the Messiah will soon follow him. But John said, no, nope, not me, I'm not Elijah. And it's kind of interesting there because according to Jesus, John did perform the role of Elijah because he's, he was announcing the Messiah. You can go over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. And Jesus, it almost is like he gives a, a contradiction to what John is saying right here. But there is no contradiction. Hear what he says in Matthew eleven fourteen. He said, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. You say, when I hang on, John said, I'm not the Elijah. And Jesus says here, well, he is the Elijah. You say, what's the problem? Why is there, why is there a difference there? It's not a difference. It's just John couldn't believe that God would use him to do anything. John had this spirit of humility about himself, and, and he's like, you know, this is really not about me. And he didn't realize the full extent of how God was using him to be just that, the forerunner of the Messiah. So they're like, are you the Messiah? Nope, not me. Are you Elijah? No, not me. And then they ask him a third question in verse 21, are you the prophet? You can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and Moses predicted that there would be a, a great prophet sent by God and that God would put words into his mouth. And we know that's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And so John's sitting there and John says, no, it's not me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And yet as I read this, I'm like, if there's anyone out there that could have bragged about his spirituality... It would have been John the baptizer, but he doesn't do that. The Bible even tells us this over in Luke chapter one, that John was filled with the very Holy Spirit of God while he was in his mother's womb. And yet another, another example 
of why life in the womb is valuable to God and should be valuable to you and I as well. The only person in human history to feel be filled with the Holy Spirit his entire life. So here he is, a newborn filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Yet here he is, this true example of humility. What you and I should, should desire in our own lives to be humble people. Listen to what the Bible says about this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Do you know who wrote that? 1 Peter? Peter? wasn't John. Um, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Now, who is all of you? But yeah, that'd be everybody. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God, mm, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so the desire that you and I have throughout life should be that of humility. Humility. It's not about me, it's all about Jesus. If anything good comes out of me, it is all because of Jesus, right? Let us not exalt ourselves. Let us not try to promote ourselves. Let us not try to uh, uh, give more value to who we are, but instead realize the reason we have life, the reason we have voice, the reason we have any influence at all in life is to be like John. No, I'm not him, but I know him. Humility can be difficult. I can remember uh, right after the hurricane, and uh, man, our church, God used our church as he does all the time, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are, right? But he was using our church in tremendous ways, and there were 13,000 hot meals that were going out every day. They staged in the back of the parking lot here on the other side of our education area. Uh, because we couldn't use the buildings. The buildings were all, you know, they had to be rebuilt. And so American Red Cross was back there. Disaster Relief was back there. And we were working through those agencies and a lot of good was coming. And I'll never forget when we were contacted and we were told, listen, you can't tell a soul that Vice President Pence was coming. He wanted to come. He wanted to see what was going on. He wanted to, he wanted to uh, be a part of really what God was working and moving through our church. And I'll never forget, we came into this room, all the carpet was ripped out, all the seats was ripped out, it was just kind of a shell. And for those of you long timers who've been around here, you remember that when we were building this on the concrete and on the, on the uh, studs and everything in the wall, we met and we wrote scripture verses and we wrote prayers and all those kinds of things. And the vice president is walking around, he's reading the scripture, he's reading these prayers and um, you're, have you ever been around someone to where you're like, they don't even have to say a thing, man. My spirit identifies with their spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit shaking hands. And he was moved. He had said, I don't want any cameras in here. This is not a PR op. I, I want to come in here. And Hey, pastor, can I pray for you? Well, absolutely you can. Before he left, can I pray for you? Please do. Some of you are like, oh, you're endorsing him for president. I'm not endorsing anybody for president. Been there, done that. I'm not, I'll probably never do that again. <laughs> the governor was with him, who at the time was Rick Scott. And afterwards, we went outside of this room, and 
vice president's wife was with him and we went back and we were looking at the operation and you know we started packing some of the food that would go out pastor carl was out there as well and you know they were taking all these pictures and stuff and i'll never forget his uh, the governors the governor came to me and here's what he said i'm so impressed with what is going on here how you guys are ministering in the midst of a tragedy that i would love to talk to you more about this i would love for you to help me and to be a part of something even bigger than what you guys are doing here. And I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. And so I waited. And I waited. And then one day I received in the mail correspondence from him. From our governor, and I opened it up very quickly, and I read, and he was like, hey, man, praying for you as you rebuild the church, and blah, 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 very impressed with what God's doing, and all this kind of stuff, and I was like, wow, this is awesome, that, you know, that we're going to do something bigger and greater, and I finally arrived, I've gotten a card, and he's written by his own hand, and as I'm putting it back in the envelope, I noticed something interesting, I think we have a picture of it, can we show the envelope? Dr. Stephen Tyler, <laughs> Highland Park Baptist Church. And I was gonna throw it away and uh, it was either the Holy Spirit or my wife, one of them, <laughs> said, no, I think it'd be good for you to hold on to so you can look at it from time to time and be humbled. <laughs> right? And then not too long ago, I mean, I'm talking weeks ago, all of a sudden I receive a phone call that is from who at the time, it may still be, I don't know, at the time was his chief of staff. And I looked at my phone, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the chief of staff, he's calling me. Now's the time, we're gonna do something bigger and greater. And they realized how important I am. And so I, I, I answered the phone and I'm like, I'm like, hello. And he's like, who is this? And I'm like, this is Stephen Kyle. He goes, this doesn't sound like Stephen Kyle. Oh, this is Stephen Kyle. He goes, I just talked to you five minutes ago. You don't sound the same. I said, you didn't talk to me five minutes ago. He said, is this Stephen Kyle, our financial CEO? <laughs> I'm like, no, this is Stephen Kyle, the pastor in Panama City, Florida. It's not Stephen Tyler, it's Stephen Kyle. <laughs> and here's what he said, I kid you not. Oh, yeah, pastor, I'd forgotten all about you. <laughs> I was trying to call a guy, a CEO, he, he, he handles our financial stuff, got the same name as yours. I guess I'll just go ahead and delete your contact so I don't do this again. <laughs> John was a model of true humility. God has a sense of humor bringing about humility within our lives, right? But we all struggle with pride, every single one of us. And so I want you to ask yourself the question this morning, am I guilty of pride? And maybe you would say, well, I don't really know how to determine whether I am guilty of pride or not guilty of pride. I wanna share with you this morning an acrostic that I was taught several years ago that is so simple that it can kind of determine where you are in pride versus humility in your life, and it can consistently be changing, okay? It's very simple, it just spells out the word pride. The first word is the word position that you have a powerful desire about you to be the top dog. What do they say? 
If you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Yesterday, I was watching a lot of different sports that was happening, and I caught a little bit of a college softball game, caught a little bit of a college baseball game, caught way too much than I should have a college basketball game, and was watching all this, and I noticed something that was happening no matter which event I was watching or which school it was held at. Over and over again, the fans, when the camera would pan in on them, or especially after the game, their team, it could have been the very first game they had won all season, yet the fans were all screaming this, we're number one, we're number one. Well, no, actually, you're in last place in the conference, but you won today. Do you know what I didn't see in any of those broadcasts? Anybody screaming, we're number two, we're number two. I mean, maybe TCU, but nobody else. (laughs) We're number two. Why? Because it's that desire to be number one that drives us in our culture. Number one is the only coveted position in America. It ought to be different for the follower of Christ. Is that my driving desire? For me to be number one, for everybody to realize, look at who I am. But then the R stands for rank. You know, we are all conscious of our rank. We're also all conscious of everybody else's rank. And we're consistently trying to pass them. Oh, the neighbor's got a new car. We got to get a new car. The neighbor's built a gondola in the backyard. Jim, you're building a gondola in the backyard. The neighbor's kid graduated from this school. Come on, I know it's eight years, but you've got to graduate. They got a promotion. The great conductor, Leonard Bernstein, he said this. He said, the most difficult instrument to play is the second fiddle. He said, I get plenty of folks that are like, hey, I'm a great first violin, but I don't get very few that say, you know what? I, with enthusiasm, play second violin or second French horn or second flute. And here's what he says, that is a problem. Do you know what he says? He says, because if nobody plays second, then we can't have harmony. John was willing to play second fiddle to Jesus Christ. He realized that's the only reason I have life. That's the only reason I have voice. That's the only reason I have anyone following me because I understand what my goal in life is to point other people to Jesus Christ. So the P is position, the R is rank, the I is simply this, I must be the center. Stop and think, how do you spell the word sin? How do you spell the word pride? How do you spell the word anxiety? Do you know what is in the middle of sin and pride and anxiety? I, I. Do you know someone out there that thinks the entire universe revolves around them? A person who always wants that I, that I to be the center of attention? Philosophers, 
Aristotle and Ptolemy, they proposed that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun and the stars and all the other planets, they rotated around the earth. That was the belief for thousands of years and it was the official position of the Catholic Church. So when Copernicus and Galileo came along and said, no, 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 no. everything doesn't revolve around the earth. Everything revolves around the sun and we just revolve around the sun as well, that we are not the center of the solar system. It's the sun. They screamed blasphemy. They're heretics. Everything does revolve around us. But now they were correct that we're not the center of our own little universe. Have you made that discovery or is it that you still act as though you are the center of your own little universe? Do you evaluate everything? Do you evaluate everyone else by based upon asking or saying, this is what I think, this is how I feel, this is what I want? That's not what John did. John's like, oh, it ain't about me. Paraphrasing, but I could see him saying, it ain't about me. No, I've been sent to tell you of one. He's coming after me, but the reality is he was before me. Chew on that for a little while. Position rank, I must be the center. Here's the D. Can I give you the D? Destruction. Some of you guys are saying, let them sing again. No, we got to have good sound doctrine. Or we'll wait off into who knows what. Look at what the Bible says. This is in Proverbs 16, 18. Some of you guys know this. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The little town or the little church that I grew up in, our pastor, he had never been to college, high school education. I can remember him saying this over and over again as he would quote this passage of scripture. He would say the only place where pride does not go before destruction is in the dictionary. And that's right. Because pride always goes before destruction. Now, there's a center letter in another word that I didn't say earlier. Think about it, the word Lucifer. And that's how Lucifer became Satan. Why? Because he had an eye problem. Over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, I think it's verses 13 and 14, Isaiah there is recording what Lucifer said about himself. Listen to what this says. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And so here is Lucifer, and Lucifer is sitting there, and he's saying, you know what, I'm going up, up, up. And God said, oh, no, 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 Lucifer, you're going down, down, down. And it was his pride that led to him being kicked out of heaven, and one day he will face final, total destruction. Here's the problem. When he fell out of heaven, he fell right down to planet Earth, and he brought his problem with him. And that same problem of pride is what he used to bring in Adam and Eve, and he appealed to their pride problem, and he appeals to our pride problem. And guys, the mess that we're in today has nothing to do with legislation. It has nothing to do with which political party is in the White House. It has nothing to do with whether we're drinking water out of a bottle or water from a tap. It has everything to do with pride. 
That's the problem, and that's the reason the mess that we have today is there. Had it not been for pride, the reality is you and I'd still be eating fruit from the garden. I mean, if there'd been no pride, there'd be no devil. And if there were no devil, there would have been no serpent. If there were no serpent, there would have been no deception, no deception, no sin, no sin, no decay, no decay, no fall, and no fall, no death. And it all started, church, because of pride. Every problem we've got today is because of pride. The reason why nations war is because of pride. The reason why churches divide is because of pride. The reason why marriages end in divorce is because of pride. The reason why children rebel is because of pride. Pride will ruin your life. I mean, go back, go back and think about the devil himself. Before pride, what was he? He was a singer. After pride, he became a snake. Before pride, he was decorated. After pride, he was decimated. Before pride, the Bible says this, he was dazzling of all the angels, and after pride, he is demised. Before pride, he was admired, and now after pride, he's an adversary of God. Before pride, he was in heaven, and then after pride, one day, finally, completely, for all eternity, he'll be in hell. And it's all because of pride. Position, rank, I must be the sinner. Destruction in the E, this is what it all leads to many times, embarrassment. You remember the pride of Simon Peter? You remember what happened with him? You remember when Jesus told the apostles, hey, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be crucified, and many of you will leave me. And you remember what Simon Peter said? Simon Peter said, if everybody else leaves you, I'll not do it. If they all forsake you, I, if I'm the last one, will still stand with you. And yet the Bible says this. The Bible said that before the rooster crowed that morning, he denied him not once, not twice, but three times. And the Bible says that after Peter denied Jesus, he looked across the courtyard and he saw the soldiers leading Jesus away. And the Bible says that Jesus fixed his eyes on Peter, and Peter ran out, and he wept bitterly. That's what pride leads to every single time. Brokenness, destruction, shame, embarrassment. I want to give you a statement this morning. That if it's something that we hold true to, if it's something that we keep before ourselves, if it's the very desire of our heart, then we can follow the model that is given to us of true humility by John the baptizer. Here's the statement. I can only discover who I am in Christ when I admit who I am not in myself. I'll say it again, I can only discover who I am in Christ when I admit who I am not in myself. You can go to the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, I think, and here's what Jesus said. He said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily, and do what? Follow me. Do you know what that's called? Humility. Again, I go back to John, he would have been easy It would have been easy for him to say, well, you know what? I do have a lot of followers. You know what? I am the one you've been looking for. I am a a pretty big deal. 
But no, the perfect model of humility, I'm not the one, I'm not the one, I'm not the one, no, 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 it's not me, don't you dare focus on me, I've come to tell you of another. Humility is not something that's really embraced in our culture. It's surely not embraced with this Americanism ideology that we have. Humility, many times folks will sit there and say, humility is when you have a poor self-image, thinking that you are worthless. That's not humility. Humility, humility is having an honest evaluation of who you are. Humility is seeing yourself the very same way the Bible describes and sees you. Now let's stop and think about that. On one hand, here I am. I am a sinner, and what do I deserve because of that? I deserve death, and I deserve hell. Yet on the other hand, because of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I am a child of God, and I've got a good, good father. So humility, guys, it's found in the tension between the two. Humility is found in the balance between I'm a sinner that deserves hell and death, and yet because of Jesus, I'm a child of God who serves a good father. So it's balanced between those two realities. We don't see that anywhere any better than the life of Paul. In Romans chapter 7, y'all remember Romans 7? Y'all remember? We were there 18 months ago, guys. Come on. In Romans chapter 7, here's Paul, the author, and he is writing and he's saying, woe is me. Man, not only am I a sinner, I'm the chief of all sinners. If we were putting together a sinner club, my name would be on the door as founder and president. He says, man, here's how I am. It, it's so bad. The very things I want to do, I don't end up doing. And the very things that I, I, I should be doing, I'm not doing. And it's, he's like, it's a constant struggle back and forth. And that's Romans 7. He's like, whoa, whoa, is me. I'm terrible. And then he gets over to Romans chapter 8. And he talks about how we're deeply loved as children of God. Romans 8, he's like, hey, we're heirs of God. What? With Jesus Christ. See, at first reading, you're like, that guy was confused, man. He was, he was crazy. One way, one moment, and one way, the next moment. And he really didn't get everything. Or, man, he was focused on too much. He was not confused. I would say this. He understood the balance better than most. This tension that is taking place. I'll give you another way to remember with this tension that is happening when it comes to humility. Here's what Jesus said. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> You're like, what's your interpretation of that? Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And then it comes right along and the Bible says this. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? So you've got this balance, right? You've got this, uh, this tension that is going back and forth. There's a great Christian writer by the name of A.W. Tozer. If you get a chance, read his writings. I promise you, you'll not be disappointed. I want you to hear what he wrote about humility. And I apologize. I should have given this to the guys to put on the screens. If you want it, you can email me and I'll send it to you. But here's what he wrote about Humility. He wrote, a humble man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. 
He knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But he knows at the same time, he is in the sight of God more important than the angels. Hey guys, do you know Jesus didn't die for salvation for the angels? The Bible says this. The Bible says that angels have kind of looked at salvation, they've pondered salvation, and they don't get salvation. Because he didn't die for them, but he did die for you. Listen to what Tozer said. In himself nothing. In God everything. That's what John the baptizer said. I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. I've been sent so that I may say, turn to Jesus. And I would say today, you've been given life so that you as well would turn to Jesus and then proclaim, turn to Jesus. First service, we baptized three, and there was a, a, a young lady, I, don't, I would say early 20s, I don't know the exact age, Seems the older I get, the more they look younger. <laughs> and uh, uh, Scott baptized the first service. When Scott was baptizing, and Scott asked her the question, who is the Lord of your life? She, she screamed, Jesus Christ. Was baptized, and then after her, her boyfriend came into the water. And here was his testimony. A couple of weeks ago, when she got saved, she went and told him, you will not believe the peace that is coming to my heart through Jesus Christ. He's changed me. And I want him to do the same for you. And he was broken. And based upon the witness of his girlfriend who had just gotten saved, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. That's John. The humility about him. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Now, I want to do a little experiment this morning. Can you hang with me? It's 1141. But remember, they sang way too long. <laughs> sang way too long. I've always been amazed at those who will pay to go and watch a two-hour movie and won't even go out to use the bathroom for fear that they may miss something. But if they sit in a service longer than an hour and a half, it's too long. Or they'll watch a ball game that lasts for four hours when their team stinks. <laughs> but an hour and a half, or anyway, I, I, I just ate up some time telling you that. Here's the experiment. I want you to help me out with this. Right now, I want you to try to pat yourself on the back. Can you do that? Not the shoulder, the back. Pat yourself on the back. Couple of you could, maybe. Most of you couldn't. Now try to do this. Try to kick yourself in the rear end. No, don't try that later. Don't do that now, students. Don't do it now. Don't do it now. God has designed the body in such a way that it's almost impossible to pat yourself on the back. It's also, I would say, it is impossible. I had somebody one time say, no, 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 I really can kick myself in the behind. Let me show you. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to see that. Um, <laughs> trust you with that. It's the model of true humility. Let me give you this, and we'll, we'll try to finish it up. 
His mission, here's the second one. His mission was to point people to Jesus. It won't, it won't near be as long as the first. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Again, I'm going to go back. John, ba- John the baptizer knew who he was. He knew why he existed. He came to point people to Jesus. And that's something that he said, and that's something that he saw. So let's talk about his voice. First of all, his voice said, get ready for Jesus. In this passage of Scripture, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40. Now, while he does not quote all of Isaiah chapter 40, let me encourage you sometime, go and read all of Isaiah chapter 40 because to me it describes perfectly what John is doing. Over in Isaiah 40, the prophet speaks of how, ev- how every valley shall be filled, every mountain should be brought low, every crooked road shall be made straight, every rough way shall be made smooth. I had a guy in my church in Little Rock that worked for the highway department. He said that was his life verse right there. But that's true, right? That, that, that's what's being said. Honestly, that's what John is saying. I have come to be nothing more than the highway that leads you to the one. That leads you to Jesus. Stop and think. I've come to remove all obstacles to create that way. You know, we're going to fill some valleys. We're going to blow out some mountains. We're going to make some crooked roads straight. And we're going we're to smooth it out because we want to remove every obstacle out there that would keep you from coming to Christ. He says, that's what my life existence is. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And I would say to you today, that's what we should be doing as well. That we should at our workplace and at our school and wherever our kids play and in our neighborhood and wherever life may take you, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should approach it as, you know what? I've been given life and I've been given the voice and I've been given the influence, the relational influence in their lives. Again, I'm going to go back to this Uh, this girlfriend and boyfriend who gets saved and then goes back and says, you're not going to believe. And he can do the same for you. So we're blowing all that out of the way, right? So what? So we might say, here's the road. Here's the highway. That's why you and I even have existence. It's not to promote myself. It's not to worry about my position. It's not to look at my neighbor's rank and say, well, I got to do something different. He's got ahead of me. It's not sitting there saying the world revolves around me. No, no, it's none of those things. It's let me tell you about Jesus. But then secondly, he talks about his vision. And his vision was of the greatness of Jesus. It's interesting, John the baptizer was a great man according to Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. Listen to what Jesus said about him. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. That's what Jesus said. What a tribute. What a, can you imagine Jesus saying that about you? Among everyone born of women, he is the greatest. If he said that about me, I mean, my head would get bigger and... I'd be like, wow, you're not going to believe what Jesus said about me. But listen to what he said. He said, but the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
There's an equalizing force, friend. The kingdom of God. How do I inherit the kingdom of God? Through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. John was great. That's what Jesus said. John's great. I mean, stop and think. He had a a miracle birth. He was a miracle baby. If you study the story of John before Gabriel visited Mary, he also visited John's father, Zechariah. Over in Luke chapter 1, the Bible says this, that Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, was barren. Here's what that means. They weren't able to have children. And not only that, but they were way advanced in their age. Do you know what that means biblically? They were really old. But God performed a miracle in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And John was born. I mean, he was a miracle baby. So this man, the one that Jesus says, the greatest to be born among all women with a miracle birth. Mm. All he could do was talk about the greatness of Jesus. I'm nobody. He's everybody. In verse 27, he makes an amazing statement there. He said, somebody's coming after me who is so great, I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. Now, in Israel during this time, you had to walk everywhere you went. They wore sandals. There weren't concrete sidewalks. There weren't paved roads. There were a few roads that were rock and stuff like that, but they walked through sand almost everywhere they went. You would show up at a home, And what would happen is the lowest employee, the lowest slave of that house, their responsibility would be take the guest's sandals off and wash their dirty feet. And that's the entry-level job. I can just see when a new guy comes in and this guy's getting to get moved up, he's like, thank you, Lord, I gotta wash no more dirty feet. Notice what John has just said, though. He said, the very bottom of the, of, the, of the ladder here, right? The entry-level position, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. So I'll just keep pointing people to Jesus. There's the way to go right there. Let me smooth this out a little bit for you. There's the way. Oh, that's a little crooked. Let me get a little straight. There's the way to go. Oh, there's a mountain. Yeah, let's, let's blow that barrier out of the way. There, there you go. Keep on going to Jesus. Let me ask you this morning as we draw to a close. Is your life drawing people to Jesus? Or is your life directing people away from him? I want you to hear what the Bible says. Young people, listen to this. Over in Luke chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said this. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Where are you? John said, hey, my job, my job is to come and to proclaim. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And he came. You're like, okay, if that that was John's job, then what's our job? Our job is to proclaim He's coming back again. Be be, be ready right now. He's coming back again. Back in the 1930s, actually 1938, it was a Sunday night, October the 30th. Before there were televisions or smartphones or internet or anything along those lines, 
Americans would just gather around the family radio and they would listen to their programs on the radio. That night, as millions of Americans were listening to the CBS radio network, there was a program that was going on. It had soothing orchestra music that was playing when suddenly the announcer broke in and the announcer said, ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program to bring you a special bulletin from the International Radio News Network. And over the next hours, everybody was just glued to their radio. Over the next hour, a series of hysterical announcers described the horror of an invasion of Martian monsters who had landed in New Jersey. And they were using heat ray guns to kill Americans. And the announcer said that space invaders, they were, they were spreading out all across America. And then at the end, there was the broken voice of a New York City announcer that was choking on the poisonous gas of the Martians. That's how the show ended. He claimed that the army had been wiped out, and then he died right there on air through the radio. Of course, we know that this was the original fake news. That just because somebody writes something or says something doesn't make it true. It was a dramatization of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. There was a printed radio guide for the day that even announced that it would be a radio ad adaptation of the War of the Worlds, but nobody paid attention to that. And as a result of this radio program, this broadcast, it brought about mass hysteria and panic. And although, although some claim the newspaper's claims of hysteria were overblown, overblown, it was estimated that five million people heard the broadcast and that one out of five people suffered severe trauma from thinking that it was a real attack. People took to the streets running, covering their faces with cloth to keep from inhaling uh, the, uh, the poisonous gas that was released by the Martians. Phone lines, what few that they had, they were shut down because everybody was trying to call. Run, the Martians are here. Churches were suddenly packed with people because they thought it was the end of the world. Maybe you should start that rumor at work in school this week. <laughs> Chances are most of you have probably heard that story before. It may be new to some of you, but uh, I've, I've known that for quite some time. Here's what I didn't know. At Campbellsville College, a Christian college in Campbellsville, Kentucky, there was a student that heard the broadcast, and he thought it was the end of the world. He ran across campus that night yelling, the world is ending, the world is ending, the world is ending. He finally came to the home of the campus chaplain. And he said, the world is ending. I'm not ready to die. Can you tell me how I can get ready to die? And the chaplain invited him in and sat him down and talked with him about accepting Jesus. And the young man gave his life to Jesus. Well, they wake up the next day, and here's what everybody realized the next day. It was all a hoax. That none of it was true. And the young man that had been running across the campus there in Campbellsville, Kentucky, was now the laughingstock of the entire campus. 
He was so embarrassed that he's like, I've got to leave school. I can't stay here any longer. But at the chapel service the next day, that was required for all students. The chaplain called the young man by name, and he had him stand up. And when he stood up, all the other students snickered because they knew what had happened the night before. Here's what the chaplain said. He said, I admire the courage of this young man because he was honest enough to admit that he wasn't ready to die. Are all of you ready to die? If not, are you willing to admit it like our friend here? And that's how he closed the service. And it's interesting that that fearful student that night that was running all around campus, the world is ending, the world is ending. He would eventually become a missionary, spend the rest of his life telling people how to get ready to die. Are you ready? Here's what I can tell you. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Could be any time. Are you ready? Are you ready to die? John said, I've come because I need to tell you how you can get ready to die. Let me tell you of one that knows everything you've ever done. And he still paid the price. Let me tell you of one that'll get you ready to die. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. And we would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.